G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch, producer and host, and some news that we've been nominated as a finalist in the Australian Podcast Awards for Best Entertainment. Now, let's not count our chickens before they hatch, because we're also up in the same category with the wonderful Angie and Evie of Two Girls, One Pod, although I'd call them women. Uh, Nova Entertainment calls them girls in the title of Two Girls, One Pod is what they do. And four other are up for this category of Best Entertainment in the up-and-coming Australian Podcast Awards. should also mention that we've got Buckley's chance of winning the thing because Sportsbet has the wonderful Angie and Evie at $2.30. The other categories, there's some at about $3, and we're way back at $7 on the uh, Sportsbet on that particular one. But still, it's always great to be nominated, and it's also a highlight to the great work that the team does on this very podcast as we head into Season 5 next year. Before we head into our guest today, Gracie Jean, let's have a look. In the box. Zoe, who goes under the moniker of Zoe from Earth, has a follow-up to their Prelude release from a little while ago. This is the first full single of a future release from it's called Fire. I'm going to give you some details in the show notes regarding it. And I believe there is an Adelaide Fringe show on the horizon as well. As soon as I got details, that also will be included in the show notes as well. Just to let you know that Zoe, Z-O-E, has a single called Fire. You should be getting around. The official film clip should be out as well. Let's now head to our feature guest for today. Gracie Jean recently released her debut album, Romance is Bad, reflections on life had and comfort in taking time to acknowledge the feelings it brings. The album was mixed and produced by Matt Wickneyard in Naughty Studios and mastered by Harvey O'Sullivan at Studio 303. Gracie joins Radio Notes here for a chat. Today, we uncover and figure out whether or not romance is bad. Our guests might suggest it is, or they have a fascination with Lady Gaga's bad romance. Gracie Jean, welcome to Radio Notes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so funny that you should mention bad romance because when I was working with Matt Wagner recording my album, when we recorded Romance is Bad, he accidentally kept referring to it as bad romance, like, well, maybe three or four weeks working with him in that studio can you talk to us about that process this is your debut album you've released three singles from it never really been in a studio before and I'd never recorded I'd I'd done a couple of little recordings at uni um just like as part of assessments or helping other people out but this was the first time recording anything original in a studio but I think it was quite unique because Matt's a friend of mine and he goes to my church and I he'd done a bit of stuff with one of my friends and so yeah I remember before we started recording we went out for coffee with my other friend Solomon and we just talked about my album and what the songs are about and when I wrote them and how I wrote them and went into the studio and started recording demos to a click track and it probably wasn't the most normal studio experience there wasn't any like session band or any kind of like time pressure or um like I wasn't paying for the studio space for example so there wasn't any of that like quick we have to get this take done today kind of vibe would there be an understanding there was a lot of conversation that happened before the recording as well without that rush as you say 100 percent. yeah we like 
recorded in Stanmore. So we had a bunch of coffees at a cafe nearby and we talked a lot about it. And, yeah, we just talked about, like, I think Matt just really wanted to understand what the songs meant to me and what my plans were for the songs. And, I mean, I've never recorded before, but I'm not sure that engineers generally do that. Like, I don't really know. Track number four, My First Love. Talk to us about that in terms of memories and coffee. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that that line was a little bit of creative license because I'm not going to lie, there was never any point when I was like, ew, this guy has coffee breath. It was like an appropriate line to put in the song because one of the things we would do a lot was get coffee and, like, that was just a big feature of, like, what we did together. I remember actually introducing this guy to coffee. Like, he'd never... It's so funny, he was not a coffee drinker and he had never like been to a coffee shop. And so I took him to a coffee shop and the waitress came up and said, what kind of coffee would you like? And he just was like, um, espresso. (laughs) And I didn't correct him because I, as far as I knew, like maybe he just wanted a shot of espresso. I don't really know. Anyway, it came out and he was like, what is this? So Anyway, he discovered what a flat white was that day and uh, he drank a lot of them throughout our relationship. But it's also a reminder for when one is in a relationship, and this album is in a way about relationships, but broader relationships we'll talk about in a moment as well. Mm. Asking for what you would like, but also knowing what you're asking for. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, it's quite funny, especially when it comes to coffee. You know, you've got to... You gotta know what coffee order you have. It's always one of my favorite things when guys that my friends date know their coffee order. Like if my friends are dating a guy and he knows what coffee they like, I'm like, yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> you mentioned before about church. You're currently yeah. a kids ministry coordinator at the Gateway Church. Um, yes. What role does music play in that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because that's actually one of my favourite parts of my job is each term I teach all the kids a song. So we all kind of like learn it together. And then at the end of every term, we we kind of get up on the stage and sing it in front of the whole congregation. And it's so fun. Like kids love music. I've never met a kid who's like, I don't like music. It's boring. They all love it. And last term I taught them like a whole song with lots of lyrics and we all learned the Auslan, like the sign language to the song as well. And I was just so amazed because you tried to teach those kids like a Bible passage or a memory verse that was that long. I don't know if they would be able to learn it, but it's like once you put a melody to it, it becomes so memorable for kids. And yeah, it was so cool the fact that they were able to sing the whole song. So yeah, we always do music at the start of every kind of lesson and the kids really love it you know you see all those stories on the news of kind of elderly people with dementia and and what oftentimes the only thing they can remember is songs they listened to a lot when they were young adults and like so a lot of them can still remember hymns and still sing an entire hymn even if they can't remember like the names of all their children it's really wild but music just has this way of getting into your brain and sticking there it's quite amazing apart from the producer how much of that religious faith have you put into this debut album or have you distanced yourself in a way? It's still you because it Mm, is your faith, mm, mm. but how much of it have you put into the record? I guess I'm asking how much of a Christian album is this? I would say that it's not explicitly a Christian album, which is super funny because I feel like 
from the perspective of potentially some people who are really devout Christians, they might think, why has she done this? Like, why has she released a secular album? (laughs) But in my personal opinion, like, because I love Jesus and that is part of every element of my life, there's not really any way to like explicitly separate that from the music that I create. So even though there's no overt Christian themes and these aren't songs that were written for, say, congregational worship, I still feel like you can't really separate those two elements. And um, yeah, so I would say it's definitely not a Christian album, but I'm a Christian and I made the album. <laughs> that definitely influenced it a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm excited and happy that the songs are able to resonate with all people, not just Christians, and that most people who listen to them feel like they can relate, which is really cool. For those that are needing that reference, I bring you back to the uh, Coffee Kisses of track four, My First Love. God God does get a name check in there. Just for you that are looking for it. He does. He does. And also in the track Overcome... That song, I would say, is kind of a Christian song, actually. There's yeah. a there's a verse at the end that's kind of all about the faith that kind of gets you through hard times. And then kind of sneakily in the outro, my friend Solomon Steele plays on the electric, like, this line that's very reminiscent of the hymn, How Great Thou Art. And not a lot of people pick up on it. Like even, this is kind of a secret. I haven't really mentioned this in any podcast or anything, but even Christians who have grown up in church hear that song and they don't clock that that's the melody that he's playing. So I think it's really cool. It's like my little secret ode to to hymns and to Christian music in the outro of the song. Overcome was one of the earliest singles. Yes. Place where run out of faith. So you are suggesting that even with the belief that you might have, that you can actually run out of faith, that sounds like self-questioning of self somewhere. Oh, I mean, it's definitely a thing, though. Like, when I wrote that song, um, it was 2020 and we were experiencing a lockdown and I was just really struggling with mental health. I'd just been through a really hard breakup and I was just feeling really hopeless. And the only the only thing I could really think to do was to lament like to be sad about what was going on and um yeah I think it's a it's a problem that not just Christians but all people have is like we're just scared to be sad and we have this impulse to silver line everything and it frustrates the crap out of me I get so annoyed like no helpful sentence starts with the words at least Like when you're sad and someone comes up to you and goes, at least X, Y, Z, it's like, no, just go away. Just let me have a whinge and stop trying to silver line everything. Yeah, I think Christians are especially bad at it. We feel guilty for being sad and not seeing any hope in a situation when actually I think those are the moments when we need to just be like, all right, let's just lament. Let's just be sad. Like, that's okay. We're not going to get in trouble for doing that. And then I wasn't actually going to release Overcome as a single, but um, at the time that I released it, which was January of this year, January 2022, one of my best friends died. She was only 23 years old and it was very sudden. It was tragic. It was terrible. I was like, this seems like the perfect time for this song to come out. Like, I just think me and my friends and my family need a lament song where we can just be sad. We can openly say, you feel like we've run out of faith. There's just nothing, there's no silver lining to this. And it was a very beautiful thing that we were all able to lament together and use that song as a platform to do so. 
It also allows, and I don't want to speak, put words in your mouth, but it also allows for reflection as well. Some Mm, people mm. suggest that that's the time where they can actually, whilst they feel like they're running out of faith, can find a reconnection with what it actually means to have a faith. Oh, 100%. That's the true test, isn't it? Like, can you still have faith even when you don't feel it? Even when you don't have that feeling of happiness or joy, can you still hold on to what you know is true, right? That's like the real test of faith. It's also the determination of why does faith need to be happy and cheery? Is, is, there somewhere oh, totally. that's, is there somewhere that states that it needs to be such? No, no, definitely not. Like, that's not a thing at all. Yeah. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm a super big advocate for just being sad when you need to and lamenting when you need to. And that song was definitely me trying to show people maybe what that looks like for someone to do. I don't want you to speak on behalf of of your mother, but I want to know how you're feeling. It's been Mm. a very, it's been quite a time for your mother over the last few years. And I think there's been Mm. moments of joy throughout that as well. How have you been finding a way to cope and to facilitate what your feelings are during that time? Well, yeah, so for those listening who, like, don't know, my mum's been grappling with chronic heart failure for the past five or six years, and it's been just a big part of my life and a big part of hers too. And I think, yeah, like, if you couple that with everything else that's been going on in the past two or three years with COVID, lockdowns, pandemics, like, me just kind of, like, becoming a young adult, you know, like, I'm 23, so I've been having, like, a rough time. I'm not going to pretend that it, it hasn't been rough it has been but I think vulnerability like learning how to be vulnerable and tell people that you're struggling is a powerful tool for getting through hard things I think creativity for me is it's an amazing way to process things that are going on and it's a wonderful means of creating something out of your situation and I also think that it's taught me how important friends are community is so important and yeah we just we weren't created to do life by ourselves we were, we were meant to be surrounded by people to help us and I think I've become so thankful for my friends like they've just been incredible that's probably the main way I've gotten through is just like I don't know if you've ever seen this meme of a chihuahua that is tied to a bunch of helium balloons and is like being lifted over <laughs> I feel like I'm the chihuahua and all my friends are the helium balloons. That's how I've been getting through. Speaking about friends, I had the pleasure this morning at time of record to watch the Vanguard performance that you did, a recital, I think you call it. There was two nights. Yes, yeah, yeah, the Vanguard. At the end of my three-year music degree, all of the performance students have to do a recital. So a final recital, we perform for 40 minutes, repertoire of our own choice. Now, I graduated during kind of one of the peak moments of the pandemic. And so our um, recitals were, you know, when we enrolled in the degree, they were going to be live performances at our university. And then because of the pandemic, all our classes were online and they wanted our recitals to be online video submissions. So we were just going to, you know, set up similar to the setup you've got there, like a mic and just record on our computer and just use like whatever we had, garage band or whatever. And so I was really sad to have to do my final recital that way because I'd been looking forward to it for my whole degree. 
And so I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to book a venue and I'm going to sell tickets and I'm going to do a live show and I'm going to have a videographer come and film the show and I'm going to submit that video for my final recital rather than sitting down and filming in front of a camera. It added a lot of stress and a lot of organisation, but that's what I did. And so, yeah, I asked all of those friends to be in my band. So I still remember who was in the band. Um, It was my friend Rihanna playing the drums and she is a singer-songwriter herself and she is one of the people who first kind of encouraged me to record my music. I never would have recorded if Brie wasn't like, come on, Grace, you need to record these songs. They're really good. I would love to hear them. And, like, she was amazing. And then I had my friend Harrison playing guitar, and he was a friend I made at uni. I had my friend Dennis playing the bass, another friend from uni. And the guy playing keys, I actually didn't know him until the recital, but he's from, like, Goulburn or something, and he just, like, really wanted to be involved. He was happy. Yeah, he was loving life. And I was like, you are crazy. Like, you literally... Without any guarantee of payment, because I hadn't mentioned that at the point that he volunteered to do it, he was like, yep, I'm keen, I'm going to do it. And And then the singers were Jenny and Abby. Again, two more singer-songwriters who sing and release music, Jenny Denny on Spotify, Abigail Whiten also on Spotify. And I was just, like, inspired by them. They were a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing and I wanted them to be my BVs. And then another friend from uni um, playing the violin. And then at the end, my friend Jordan, who I've just been friends with through my time at uni. And um, again, just in an, another uh, friend who's an amazing singer and who I'm really inspired by because he's just doing the things. He's gigging and he's singing. And I was just like, I want you in my recital, man. You're a great singer. And knows, <laughs> so and knows about stage presence. You, you... Oh, has great stage presence. <laughs> Let's uh, look at the opening track. I don't want to sing the blues <laughs> anymore. Now, yeah. this, of course, is, for me, is about autumn. It's about new beginnings. It's the changing mm. of the seasons. And, of course, that cardigan reference, which takes us back to the Vanguard performance a little bit, I feel like is a tip of the hat to Tay-Tay and not in a bad way. Totally. And Jordan's in that one, too. If you hear that, that male backing vocal in the chorus, that's Jordan from my recital singing. That song um, I wrote, we were heading into winter, that's right, and I was living with just... Um, this bunch of really lovely girls that I got on with so well and I really loved them. It had just been like such a hard summer. Like mum had been really sick and I'd been feeling really stressed and really lonely and just really hot as well. Like I just remember being, it was like one of my first Sydney summers and Sydney summers are so bad because when you live on the coast, when it gets hot, you can just go and have a swim and you feel better. And also there's like a sea breeze. Like it's just easier to stay cool. In Sydney, it's like, you have to catch the bus to the beach and it takes an hour or like drive there, but you might not get a park. Like it's just very hard to get to the beach. I, I'm sorry to say this, Gracie. It's why I stayed in Adelaide. You literally got a 35 minute bike ride to the beach and about another 35 so bike ride to the hills. Yeah. What more could you want? Yeah. So like Sydney is beautiful, but like getting to the beach is really hard. And I was just like sick of it. And then, it started cooling down and it was time to put on cardigans and like you could sit out in the sun and it wasn't like too hot and like I was just loving my housemates and I was just feeling really happy for the first time in a really long time and I was like whoa this is cool I need to write a song about this feeling and so I think that that song perfectly captures how I was feeling just like new season I'm feeling really good I finally stopped sweating it's, I'm living. This is great. 
Talk to me about that idea of teaching future generations on how to deal with their emotions. As someone who I believe yeah. deals with them more regularly than maybe others. It's really hard because every parent is so different. Like you've got all these kids and they've all got different parents and some parents are really like gentle parents and they, and they like feel all your feelings and how are you feeling right now? And when the kids are crying and being really naughty, it's like, well, how are you feeling and why are you frustrated? <laughs> and then there's other parents who are just like, no, go and stand outside your noise. <laughs> so I've had to really like be careful because I don't want to like impose my ideals of what I think raising kids should look like on all of these other people's kids, right? I think there's a balance. Like sometimes I, I see a kid getting more and more worked up and more and more frustrated and I'm like, okay, like this kid needs to just be asked if they're okay. But then I'm also like, if a kid's being really foul and just like mean and naughty, I'm not going to be like, oh, are you okay? <laughs> I'm usually a bit more like, okay, no, that's not acceptable. It's a bit of a balancing act. And I'm thinking music is that great avenue to calm over some of those waters by saying, look, you can be a brat or you can come and join us for choir. <laughs> Totally. And it's so funny. I was actually doing this experiment with the kids, which was so cute, where I was teaching them about how, like, God can help us in troubled times. Like, he can give us peace. I said, okay, I want you to all be really peaceful and still and just sit quietly and breathe deeply. And then I put on, like, some instrumental heavy metal music. And they just couldn't help themselves. They all started wiggling and like air guitaring and then they were just like rocking out. And I was like, what? I told you to be calm and sit still. And then I got them to try again. But this time I played like some very peaceful piano music and it was like a kind of like an illustration to show them how hard it can be to stay peaceful when there's like a lot going on. But yeah, it was cool. It was like showing the kids how music can manipulate their emotions and it was cool. Yeah. On this record, you use that device of a piano to play with emotions mm -hmm. through Forgettable. What was the inspiration for it being a piano-driven song? Some people might say it's Missy Higgins, but I don't think so. I, I think it's something else, a device that was used way before Missy. It's actually so funny because um, it's me playing the piano on that track, and when Matt showed me the the track when he first kind of done it I didn't realize and I was like oh I love that this is piano it sounds beautiful and he was like yeah that's you <laughs> that's you playing and um yeah so I think the reason it's piano driven is because Matt was saying that he really wanted one of the songs on the album to be piano driven he was like I think one of them has to be because all of my music's very guitar-y very like acoustic guitar and I think the other reason was because one of the ways that the the tracks was that I would come in and I would play on a MIDI keyboard to a click track and I would sing. Matt would build the track around that and then I'd come back and I would do the vocal take over the top of his new kind of creation, what he'd made. What was the first piano you experienced? Um, I When I was a kid, I had this CD and it was Jim Woodward. He's, he's a pianist. And I had a CD and a little CD player, and I had the Roger Woodward CD. And it was just him playing covers of, like, classic piano, like Walking in the Air and Claire de Lune, all of those, like, really iconic piano solo pieces, Debussy, like, all of it. I loved that CD. Like, I played it all the time. It was so funny because I forgot about that CD, 
but I listened to it a lot from age of like three to maybe six. And then I found it again just in like a box or something when I was 11 or 12 and I played it. The amount of like imagery I could see of like my old house from when I was a kid and like the flashbacks to my childhood was so strong and yeah, music's crazy. It can really give you strong nostalgia. Um, I would love to find that CD again. I have been searching online for it, but haven't been able to find it. But yeah, the Roger Woodward Piano Classics CD was my first experience of piano. Can we, if you don't mind, talk about your grandfather's influence on your musical career? Yes, of course. Yeah, because he was hugely influential and I love talking about him. He died in 2014, so it's a real shame that he never really got to see like the fruits of what he was doing you know when I was a kid but um he was like really like a genuinely he really believed I was a good singer like he was dead set like you are a good singer and so he would in primary school and early high school pay for my singing lessons but he'd also drive me to them and it was like almost an hour each way to singing lessons because we lived in a kind of random area (laughs) so he would drive me all the way there and all the way back and then when I got a bit older, he, like, helped me learn an instrument. So I started learning the flute when I was a bit older and did that all through high school. He showed up to everything, like performances, um, exams, lessons, whatever. He was, like, just – he was at all of them. He was a bit mad at me because he was a clarinet player and I didn't choose to learn the clarinet. I choose to learn the flute. But um, he got over it. Hi, I'm Rishi K. Sherway. And I'm Joshua Molina. We're from the West Wing Weekly. And you're currently listening to Radio Notes. Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music, and more. You can join us on The West Wing Weekly for an episode-by-episode breakdown of the television show The West Wing. Josh was the star of the show, and we give you behind-the-scenes insights and deep dives into the issues raised in the storylines of the show. You can find us on radiotopia.fm or through your favorite podcaster. For now, back to John Merch and Radio Notes. Track three is Weight of the World. This dives into, I believe, your diagnosis of clinical depression and self-doubt. How has that influenced this record? Well, it's hard to say because I always thought quite a lot. Like I thought everything on this record is very much like the thoughts of a depressed person, like those kind of untrue thoughts that feel really true. But it's funny because now I'm like, is that... Like, because everyone's relating so hard to all of these songs. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is just very human. And, like, everyone feels like this at times. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I kind of thought it was just a me thing. But actually now with it, like, being listened to by people, I'm like, oh, it's very universal, all of these doubts and these sad feelings I've been feeling. But, yeah, Weight of the World was definitely, like, written from this place of just frustration with um, specifically, and I don't think this is a depression thing. I think this is just growing up female, wanting to be skinny, like being obsessed with being skinny and feeling like such a failure because I wasn't. Have you felt that sort of weight, as the song would suggest, of social norms or is it internal criticism not related to social norms in any way? It's definitely a lot more internal Um, I think, you know, no one's ever walked up to me and said, you're not attractive or you're you're too fat or whatever. Like, that's never happened. It's something that constantly would ruminate around my head at that time. 
And I think just watching movies, you know, like you never really see like a fat heroine in a movie or an unattractive main character, like hardly ever scrolling Instagram, like every influencer, every model seems to look the same. And then watching, you know, like just anything online, it just, it felt like, yeah, it just felt like there was only one type of beautiful in the world and I was not living up to that standard and it was starting to feel really heavy. And so that's why I wrote that song. But even you yourself said that someone's unattractive. You've made that judgment of that person. Totally. And I say that totally politely. Yes, and no, it's but it's so true. And you would never go up to your friend and say, oh, you're an, like, you just don't think that about other people. Like you're only, you're a lot meaner to yourself than to anybody else. And it's very interesting. And of course, those comments, may I say, are then a self-projection onto someone else of what you're probably thinking of yourself for whatever reason you're thinking that yep. as well. Yeah, and you, it can become a real kind of rabbit hole and you really have to break out of it. But I think I was also getting really sick of all of the like, and you may have experienced this too, like just people always being like, oh, but you're so much more than what you look like and beauty comes from within. Hey, I, I have a face for radio. Life. I'm fine with it. Do beards matter, Gracie? It's in reference to uh, track number five, Whatever Goes. <laughs> yes, Whatever Goes. I was dating a guy who had a beard and it was a very, like, iconic feature of his was like that he had this beard and yeah it was funny because I had this actual dream that he shaved it and he looked so different like he looked so different that I kind of felt in the dream I was like freaked out by it because I just felt like there was a stranger like in the room with me woke up and was like slightly annoyed at him for shaving his beard in my dream even though he hadn't done it in real life and he was like, um, okay, you're mad at me for something that I did in your dream. Cool. But yeah, with do beards matter? In answer to your question, I would say yes, beards do matter. <laughs> We're currently in conversation with Gracie Jean. The brand new album is called Romance is Bad. To be clear, it's not bad as in bad romance. More of a case of things bad can happen and make you feel a little bit bad mm-hmm. as well. I've recently, Gracie, been listening to John Richards's The Runcast. That's out on KEXP. It's a podcast of new release type music. And he has a chat and he's a runner. John Richards is. I'm not a runner, but I do like my mind to think that it's running sometimes, particularly when I'm trying to get a task finished. That's how I use the idea of running music. But for you, I believe you are a runner. Can you talk to me about that and how important running is? I'm kind of interested in this idea of your mind running. You you want your mind to feel like it's running. <laughs> it's really cool. To get from one task like, to another to another. It used to be that yeah. thing of doing three-mount tracks. By the end of this three-mount track, particularly when I could see the timer as a broadcaster, you know, you're on radio, see it oh. clocking down. It's like, I want to get something finished by a time that hits zero. That's really cool. I like that. I need to give that a go. <laughs> but, yes, I do run. Not my mind, but my legs. And it's something I've been doing for a while, probably since high school. Last year, I ran three half marathons or something stupid. Like, to be fair, there wasn't much much else going on last year. So I, I just kind of had to do something. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't take anything. Like, I don't take my phone or the earbuds or, or anything. But I think about music a lot while I'm running. <laughs> I used to listen to a lot of music when I was running. I have a I have an old playlist on my Spotify that 
has all the songs that I used to listen to. Do you leap, I, I think Julepa is on there. Oh, she would definitely be on there. I ended up sure. listening to more Julepa than I cared to listen to before interviewing a Christian who was a, a singer-songwriter. I'm like, <laughs> something doesn't fit here. Me and my friend, um, shout out to my friend Isabel Knight, but we just love listening to like also just rap music sometimes and just like booty popping to it. It's kind of random. I don't know why we do it. But yeah, what have I got here? I've got, yeah, Physical, Dua Lipa, <laughs> Boss Bitch by Doja Cat. Tempo, the Lizzo Missy Elliott collab. Yeah. yeah, no, and I often actually do sometimes bring this playlist back when I'm forced to run on a treadmill for whatever reason. Because oh. treadmill running is really boring. So sometimes I do put on my my fun, good old workout playlist, which has got a lot of Sia on it too. I mean, if anyone's looking for some great uh, recommendations to, to run to, School and Life by Beyonce, King Kunta by Kendrick Lamar. Another great one. Best song ever by One Direction. All incredible for running or working out too. I want to get back to, because there's good news on your mother's front, or as good as it can be at this time. Yeah. And yet again, that's her story, not yours. But I just want to acknowledge that there is some good news in, if people are like, oh, that sounds heavy. Well, it is, but there is some light within that story as well. Can I ask you this question, if it's not sharing too much about her life? What music do you and your mother share? Oh, okay. That is a good question because mum and I do not share much when it comes to music. Like, she doesn't listen to a lot. Like, she's not a heavy consumer of music. And, like, if she is listening to music, it's quite rare. It's like, oh, she's decided to put music on today. That's quite interesting. But my mum loved, when I was a kid, she loved the Bee Gees. And so there's like a couple of Bee Gees songs that are super nostalgic to me because mum always played them in the house and in the car. Um, We both, like in the car for some reason, just absolutely go off to Life is a Roller Coaster by Roman Keating. (laughs) Do you know that song? Going to be in my head sometime before the end of this chat and I'm not (laughs) going to sing it back to you. It's just such a funny, iconic, like we just love it because I know that's going to hurt me later, remembering that song. Daniel oh. Powter's Bad Day. There you go. Two for two there. You give me Rowan okay. Keating, I give you Daniel Powter's Bad Day. I actually, I had to do a dance to that song when I was in dancing as a kid, so I'm definitely like, uh-oh. How do you, how do you dance to that? It's me. Okay. Random, yeah. It's a very specific type of dance. It's called physical culture, fizzy, if you will. Physical culture also known as body culture, is a health and strength training movement that originated during the 19th century in German, the UK and the US. It was like a thing when I was a kid and it's like a movement designed to increase strength and fitness and flexibility and you do it to music and it's a lot of like marching and stretching and it's like a weird mix of like military and like dancing. It's very strange. But a lot of people did it in like the 90s and the early 2000s, Right. In primary school, we had to do like dance moves in the physical education type of dance move that we're suggesting, I guess, there to things like ABBA. We weren't as cool as you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think your dad these days lives overseas these days. Is there a musical connection with them? Oh, no. So my dad lives in Cobbs Harbour. <laughs> Not quite overseas, but, you know, like it's pretty far away. It's like four hours away. I thought he was in Malaysia. My bad research. No, he's married to a Filipino. Yes, he does spend a lot of time in the Philippines, and he was born in Malaysia, weirdly enough. Um, 
dad loves music. He listens to a lot of music. Um, he's always listening to music. But he loves, like, that Aussie rock. Like, he loves his Dire Straits. He loves the Eagles. He loves all of that sort of stuff. Matchbox 20. But, I mean, I like it. I can get around it. For the record, Matchbox 20 were never an Australian band. No, but he just loves that that vibe, like that music that would get played in like an Australian pub. And also, I think that's my biggest fan. He's very devoted to the being the hype man for my music career. I think he was doing a good job over at TikTok. Oh my gosh, my dad on TikTok. I, I cannot. Yeah, my dad has a TikTok account. He comments on all my videos, but he also posts his own videos. How excited are you now that the record's out? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because it's just been so long. Like it's been such a long time in the making. I think I started working on this with Matt 2020, like two years ago. But these songs have been written anywhere between like 2017 and 2020. I've been sitting on them for so long and then recording them for so long. And then also we would like record and then there'd be a lockdown and we wouldn't record for ages and then we'd do a bit more and then there'd be another lockdown. So like, it's just been the longest process ever. And I'm excited to get them out because I love these songs and they feel like my friends, but I'm just really excited to like have them out so that I feel like I've got space in my head to like think about writing again and thinking about writing more songs. But also because I love these songs and I'm so excited that people can hear them. Like, I just, that makes me really excited. You mentioned earlier, though, that you're surprised of the mindset or the breadth, the length for which these these songs are going as well. Mm. Is that a warming experience for you to know that it's not just you? Oh, totally. Like, every time that someone messages me and says, this song like for example like little mountain home like really hit me in the feels i can really relate i'm so thankful for it it just makes me feel thankful that i'm able to like put to words and music something that lots of people have been feeling it's just really special what has been one of your favorite mountains to observe the mountains that i had in mind when i wrote that uh, little mountain home song was the blue mountains blue mountain national park new Mm. south wales I didn't really ever go to the – I'd never been to the Blue Mountains until I moved to Sydney and moved in and house-shared with friends who were from the mountains and whose parents still live there and was able to go to the mountains with them and, like, visit and hang out at their houses. And I was like, whoa, this place is really magical. Like, there are so many gum trees. (laughs) Yeah, probably the Blue Mountains. And also that corresponding thing about someone who might live in the mountains has a particular demeanour about them, possibly a different purpose about them compared to someone who's in the flats. Yeah, I think so. Like there's this kind of, I mean, my friends that are from the mountains, they're all so creative and they're all so like artistic and they've all like grown up in the bush. So they're really like, they love nature and they love the bush and this ability to appreciate what's around them. And then, yeah, like, I guess I like that idea of contrasting it with someone who lives in the valley, like, who just isn't in a point in their life where where they're able to do that as much. It's quite a cool metaphor, I think. Romance is Bad is the name of the album. Does that mean you have to go through another bad experience of romance for the next record? Definitely not. And actually, like, you know, 
I called the, the album Romance is Bad mostly because it's intriguing and it's the title of the song Romance is Bad. But I don't actually think romance is bad. I think, you know, it's like what I was saying before about lamenting. I think you just sometimes have to say how you're feeling even though you know it isn't true. <laughs> and that's how I was feeling at the time. But there's also the case that you've learnt from those experiences as well. Yes, I've learnt a lot from all of them. And, and none of those those feelings, like all those experiences, are like things that I wish I didn't have to go through. Like, you learn from all of it. Have you played these songs to the people they're for? Yeah, I think so. I think everyone who's who's got a song that is about them has heard it. I've either sent it to them and said like, hey, this is, this is about you. I hope that's fine. Did any of those Hope It's Okay result in a song being taken off the record? No, I don't know. Like, it's pretty scary. Like, I've talked to a few friends about this, like other songwriter friends. Like, how much power do you give them? Like, would you actually be like, hey, you just say the word and I'll scrap this. Like, do you actually? I don't know, but thankfully I didn't have to come to that decision. Let's talk about the responsibility, though, you have as a singer-songwriter writing those kind of songs. How much does that weigh on the process for you? What essentially is a very private situation being broadcast through a song? The less the people listening to it know you, obviously the less private it is, which is kind of weird because normally that works in the opposite direction. Part of it is like the only people that really know six to ten really close friends and then everyone else is just listening to a very generic song about a relationship. So and that kind of brings me comfort. <laughs> like once they're out in the world and people are listening to them, it's not for them to think about me. It's for them to reflect on them, their lives. So we've mentioned you haven't given up on romance, but it is a critique <laughs> of the idea of romance. May that be through movies or the admiration for people who are in books and the life they led as carpenters. What do you think you can or have done as a singer-songwriter to give a more realistic view of what romance is about? I, I Hopefully I've just taken it off the pedestal. Like, it seems that in society it gets put on this pedestal of, like, it's the, the most important thing that can happen to you and it's the best kind of relationship you can possibly have is a romantic one. And, like... I just don't think that's true. So hopefully I've just taken it off the pedestal a little bit and levelled it all out. And that's kind of what the song's about really is like friendship is actually really beautiful. Music is actually really beautiful. Like there's, yeah, there's this sense in which romance isn't, isn't the best. It isn't the top of the mountain. It's just another cool thing that you get to experience in a life full of cool things. Gracie Jean, congratulations on your record. Thanks very much for joining us on Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun chatting to you. Gracie Jean, debut album, Romance is Bad, available now. Find her online at gracyjeanmusic.com. Thanks very much to Gracie Jean for being our guest today. Next feature guest will be Key Out, talking about their album, Afterville. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. 
John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 